Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. We have a bunch of news and two new contributors, so I'm very excited to talk about that. So let's jump right in. First up, Ronnie posted a few updates that are happening in the SNES world uh, for at least the beginning of February. I'm going to start from the bottom here. Uh, first, the Japan-only Super Famicom beat-em-up game, Undercover Cops, just received an English fan translation. So it's the same fully playable game, just now readable in English. And while these might be minor things, I love language translation hacks, and I, I love seeing them too. Um, you know, I follow romhacking.net on Twitter, and every time I see a language translation pop up, I just, you know, it makes me smile, because there shouldn't be a language barrier in video games, at least in my opinion. Um, some of the funny ones I've seen Afterburner pop up a couple times, and it's like, is there text in Afterburner? <laughs> but it's cool. I'm glad people are taking the time to do it. Uh, next, the Super EverDrive X5 got a minor firmware upgrade. So uh, if you own the X5 and you're having any issues whatsoever, definitely just do the upgrade and see if it fixes it. And the Super EverDrive is more of a stripped-down basic SNES ROM cart that plays all <coughs> all non-special chip games. Um, next, following the announcement of the SD to SNES Pro, Crix decided to lower the price of the original SD to SNES, as well as, I believe, a few other resellers. So, um, you know, if you take a look at this and you see the SD to SNES Pro isn't really for you, it doesn't really offer the extra features that you are into, why not grab one of the original ones at a discounted price? And uh, I think people who ever have, uh, you know, remaining stock of it or used prices are probably going to go down a little bit. So, like I said last week, I think this is a good thing for everybody. People that love the SNES, like me, are definitely going to get the Pro. And uh, people that just, you know, that don't really care or maybe just want to try some MSU hacks, now you have a cheaper version of it. So that's pretty cool. And also, speaking of the SD to SNES Pro, Smoke Monster did uh, another mini follow-up interview with Akari. Um, it's on video, and it's also been transcribed, which is pretty awesome because I know a lot of people don't get a chance to watch a lot of videos, but do get to read, so you know, another reason why I love that there's news posts on the site now. Um, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, basically it's if you're into the SD to SNES Pro and uh, you're interested in what else it has to offer, absolutely give this a read. Um, also, let us know, you know the combined post that Ronnie did. Uh, would you like to see more stuff like that? Things that maybe don't necessarily have a need for its own separate post, but, you know, you could combine some stuff in just for a quick update. What does everybody think of that? Some more arcade games are being ported over to the Mr. FPGA platform. Hotego, the same guy who ported the Ghosts and Goblins arcade PCB, just worked on 1942. 
Uh, Smoke Monster hosted the release party for all of Hoteco's Patreon subscribers at at least the $3 level and up. Um, and while it looked pretty good, there's still a little bit more testing to do. And then it's going to have a public open source release for everybody, which is pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, once again, I just I love stuff like this. And uh, I'm very proud to be supporting him, as well as a lot of other people whose work I, I follow and enjoy. Um, I guess he used logic probing and analyzers on the real hardware PCB to be able to reverse engineer the core. And, you know, anytime you get through one arcade PCB with similar hardware to another, that kind of opens the door for a lot of other people to maybe step in. So the fact that this is going to be open source very soon is awesome. Um, you know, I love seeing these older arcade games, but still more modern style. Um, I could play 1940, at least my opinion, I could play 1942 now, and it just, it feels like any game from like 85 to 95, and uh, it's always very enjoyable, so I'm glad to see it happen, I'm looking forward to seeing more progress on the FPGA stuff, and of course, thanks to Hotego and Smoke Monster for continuing the work and spreading the news on all this stuff. James, a.k.a. Saint from Retro HQ, has just posted a video update of his Atari Jaguar flash cart, and he showed off the menu, how it works, thumbnails in the menu, which is always a pretty cool addition. Um, and he also confirmed that Jaguar CD support will be official, and I think will come out on launch date of the, of the flash cart, which is some pretty big news, because many of us have never had a chance to even try the Jaguar CD, and I'm pretty sure that all Jaguar CD owners would rather use ISOs if they had a chance to in most occasions because those things are so expensive and rare and uh, the CD games are pretty expensive, expensive as well. So I think it's awesome that people who even have the full collection could now just use one cart with everything on it and not worry about constant use on something that's already finicky and barely working anyway. So um, I've been excited about this thing since James first talked about it. I've been incessantly nagging him about it uh, for years now. So I really hope to get one soon. Uh, I think he said springtime-ish. Uh, so I have my whole Jag set up, um, you know, get everything fixed and working. Thank you to Jason from Game Tech for that, by the way. So uh, I'm, I'm really fired up to finally try the whole library, including the CD games. Christoph just posted a new firmware for the Dreamcast HDMI that I would consider a critical update for anybody using it. Um, this update prevents the possibility of bricking the console during a firmware update. And it's not a permanent brick because one of the things that I love about the DC HDMI is even if you, know, you completely destroy the firmware on it and it's unbootable, with a very cheap programmer you should be able to flash it. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's something where there is a plausible scenario that your firmware could get bricked. So uh, just very carefully update it for this time, make sure the download finishes properly, then start the new one, and then you should never have to worry about that again. And if anybody did get their console temporarily bricked, if you want to say it that way, Kristoff uh, posted a full list of instructions uh, for how to bring it back from the dead and how to get everything working again. And of course, if anybody wants more info on the Dreamcast HDMI, please check out the video. Uh, I think I covered all grounds with that. Last week, the Time Sleuth was announced. This is the device by the same team that brought us the Dreamcast HDMI, Dan and Kristoff. And it's a lag testing device for all displays that's designed for gamers in mind. Um, this device is now officially open for pre-order, both on Dan's website and on Castlemania Games, and should eventually be available at Video Game Perfection as well. 
Um, you could pick up the pre-order now with or without the uh, 3D printed case for around $80. And this is something that's really exciting. Uh, I also, on the suggestion of Ryan from Castlemania Games, have now opened up a web page specifically designed for stuff like this that allows people to put in their test results. Uh, it's just a Google spreadsheet now, but maybe, uh, maybe Justin will come up with some crazy fancy way of inputting all that data. But basically, anybody with the Time Sleuth or with the Leo Bodnar test uh, should be able to just put in their results I'm not going to be accepting any results from people that do what I normally do, the uh, CRT next to a flat screen with, uh, you know, dual split to both, just because there's too much margin for error. Um, you know, you have to do the test a bunch of times, you have to use the right software, and you don't get as accurate measurements as you would with the time sleuth. So no disrespect to people that use that method. I still personally use that method. I just... Um, you know, it doesn't really fit in the context of this. Uh, but at the moment, at least, you'd be able to put in all of the info as well as the different, uh, the different lag times for different resolutions. And hopefully we could maybe even implement some place to put uh, pictures of the screen, much like Dan has here. So either way, I think it's awesome. And I think having a database by gamers for gamers is pretty cool, especially because a lot of times if there's different models or different size displays, you'll actually end up with different ratings. And one of the most exciting things about the Time Sleuth is the multiple resolution support. So there's been a debate for years on is 720p or 480p going to take more uh, time to upscale on a, a 1080p or a 4K TV. Um, 1080 or 480i definitely will add more lag than 480p, let's say. So now we can just finally have that out. Uh, no more wondering. We'll be able to get accurate measurements on many different displays and be able to share that with everybody. So thanks to Dan and Christoph for having another awesome project. Uh, thanks to Castlemania Games and Video Game Perfection for helping sell these things. I really hope, while, while I wouldn't call it a cheap device, it's certainly not overly expensive, and I really hope as many gamers as possible can get this and contribute to these lag test results, which of course will be moved over to the wiki as soon as that's live and open to the public, because uh, stuff like that deserves to be open source type of thing. But as you can tell, I'm quite excited about this, and I'll keep everybody updated once I get mine. Some quick updates to the GBA Consolizer project. All of the pre-order units have arrived to Woozle, and he's currently testing and programming them, but he sent one over to Jason immediately so that Jason could do all of the necessary measurements to confirm the 3D printed cases that they'll be, uh, some of them will be going in. So that's awesome. I personally love the 3D print case design. That's definitely the one I want, but uh, you have a complete choice on your own. You could use the original GBA, the 3D printed case, just buy the kit, whatever. Uh, make your own if you'd like. So uh, it's awesome that we have choices for it. And also, I believe Woozle said that he tested the wireless Game Boy Advance controller. So that's the thing. I think I spoke about it a while back, or maybe I spoke about the Game Boy version. But either way, it's a cartridge that you put in your Game Boy Advance. And then the other end of it is a receiver for your Super Nintendo. So, of course, because this has the SNES controller port, you could then use a Game Boy with a wireless pack to control a Game Boy. So... Uh, you know, it's one of those weird things that if you already own all the equipment, it's probably fun to try once. For me personally, I'd rather just use a Super Nintendo controller, but uh, it's kind of neat that, um, that something like this is an option. 
Uh, I think he said there may have been some issues or something like that, so I certainly wouldn't run out and expect this solution, but hey, kind of neat. Displaced Gamers just posted a great video demonstrating how resolution was utilized in the 4x3 CRT era. So for something like the Capcom arcade games, and especially Street Fighter that was ported to everything, the arcade was 384 by 224 and the Super Nintendo version was 256 by 224 So if you're thinking in terms of flat screen displays in square pixels, you're thinking of something that's almost square versus something that's widescreen. But you need to remember that in the CRT era, not only was there no widescreen, but there were no pixels. So having something that was 384 by 224 just meant that you had more detail and resolution squished to the same exact 4x3 shape. So that's why you would get more detail on the arcade version than you would on the Super Nintendo version, which is detailed perfectly in this video. Um, and I think the way that they describe this and the way they display it is really a great visualization for people that might have been confused on it. And even for people who are probably looking at games like uh, the PC Engine games that if you try to play them in their original pixel count, they look square or even too narrow, even less narrow than a normal square would be. Uh, and that's why you have to stretch them to the proper aspect ratio because they weren't designed with square pixels in mind. CRTs didn't have pixels. So while it's a good video that focuses on the Street Fighter aspect ratios, what they're describing applies to all consoles and really every single game that was designed in the CRT era. So I thought it, they did a great job. Uh, definitely give it a, a watch. And um, I, I have to admit, I must have been half asleep or something. When I first saw the, uh, when I first saw the thumbnail, I assumed it was going to be some silly clickbaity video talking about how Street Fighter games are widescreen. But then I saw it pop up on our Teamio's Twitter feed, and I realized I was just dumb and not paying attention. It was a displaced gamers video, so it's got to be good. <laughs> so please uh, give it a watch and don't be silly like me and judge it by the thumbnail. Retro Gaming Cables has unfortunately announced another delay in their Dreamcast SCART cables, and this time it's just because of the casing that's on the console end. So there was a few things wrong. First, the, um, the hole for the 480p, 480i switch was in the wrong place, and uh, excuse that picture, that was just a, a prototype pic they used. They're not going to be all scratched and weirdly cut like that. Um, and also the strain relief wasn't working properly, which is a big deal because Dreamcast connectors can be tight, so you don't want to yank on the cable and actually accidentally rip the whole thing out. Um, unfortunately, though, they were quoted a 12-week delivery date for the new molds, um, so they're looking into other options for that and hopefully not going to have to wait the whole 12 weeks. And it's really disappointing because I, I've actually had the prototype for a while here, uh, and it is real and it works and it seemed to work well. But as you can see, it doesn't have a casing on it because uh, that's still not ready. So um, I really hope they get these out soon because while this is not the solution for everybody, this is absolutely the solution for people who run a SCART-only solution through a system that accepts 480p over SCART. Uh, it's just, you know, a simple, direct, and easy way to get all resolutions through a SCART connector with no fancy features. So I think a lot of people might prefer the Toro. I think most would probably prefer the Dreamcast HDMI. But straight up SCART connector, this is the way to go at the moment. So fingers crossed that they'll get it out sooner than three months. Uh, and hopefully uh, there'll be some better news soon. 
Ben Venn just posted that he'll soon have Game Gear and Atari Lynx LCD replacement kits. And while I would normally not pay so much attention to such a short and cryptic Facebook post, Ben just released his drop-in replacement backlit Game Boy Color screen, which, by the way, are now officially open for pre-order for about $70 for anybody that wants them. So that got me thinking, if he was able to pull that off for the Game Boy Color, or the, yeah, Game Boy Color, uh, what did he get for the Game Gear? So the Game Gear resolution is 160 by 144, and if you quadruple that, that is 576p. That's an exact integer scale into a PAL progressive scan resolution. So I'm guessing and hoping that maybe Ben found a 576p screen and is doing some kind of line quadrupling to get a pixel-perfect, no-shimmering Game Gear screen, and possibly even for the Lynx. I think that would be pretty incredible. At the moment, we have the McWill kits, which are excellent. I had one myself. Uh, you know, the VGA and RGB out is excellent. Um, the different modes he has is excellent, but it's not a pixel-perfect resolution, and sometimes you could tell. So uh, if there was an inexpensive drop-in replacement kit, I'm all for it. So hopefully there'll be more information soon, and I'll let everybody know. And uh, hopefully I'll be getting, or at least borrowing, a Game Boy Color drop-in screen once those mods are done, and I'll be able to do a very short overview review of it. So it looks like the PlayStation Classic has officially dropped to $40 at Walmart and Amazon with free shipping. And people have said that they found it in-store um, for as low as $15, which, you know, I, my personal opinion on that is uh, if I was in a store and saw it for that price, I'd pick one up. But there's no way you're getting me to go hunt around to different stores to, to get a few dollars off. It's certainly not worth it to me, but... You know, $40, and especially 15 certainly bring up a different perspective. I hated this thing at 100 I, I honestly did. I thought it was just disrespectful to, to classic gamers. But at 40 eh, you know, what if, you're, what if you're somebody that loves modern games but occasionally wants a quick blast of nostalgia and there's no HD remake? Grab one of these things, hack it, you know, mess around knowing that it's just a toy. It's not a serious gaming device. It's going to be buggy and laggy and all that stuff. 40 bucks, you know, it's probably good enough. I bought one because a buddy of mine has that exact perspective and said, hey, if you ever see it drop below 50, pick one up, you know, hack it and, you know, we'll check it out. So I'll be able to give it a, a fair shot from that perspective. And at 15 heck, if you see one for $15, grab it. Do you take now you have two USB controllers that are PlayStation shaped and now you have a box that you can do whatever you want with. Drill some holes and, and make it a pencil holder for fifteen dollars, who cares? So, you know, the lower price definitely opens up a different perspective, but certainly a toy and not anything any real gamer would ever sit in front of and take seriously. Here's some pretty interesting news. Tim Worthington has just released the next hardware revision of the NES RGB board with Marcus's D-Jitter built in. So it's the same very awesome RGB kit for all Nintendo and Famicom consoles, but this time it has the D-Jitter mod so that it's compatible with all flat-screen TVs and capture cards. The D-Jitter mod doesn't change the way the video looks at all. It doesn't mess with frame rates or anything like that. It just... To oversimplify it, it just cleans up the signal in a way that, while CRTs never had a problem, modern displays and any kind of capture card probably would. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, I ordered one to try. Um, 
The only downside is it's not going to be compatible with any older firmwares, including the older color palettes that were made for it. Um, I think people will probably be able to make their own as well, but it comes with three really good ones. It comes with the uh, Firebrand X Smooth Palette, which is one that I've, uh, you know, I've always been really enjoying since, uh, since he came out with it. It also has the Sony CXA Palette, which, in my opinion, I think it leans a little bit more towards blue, which I prefer, so I, I like that one. That's a matter of preference. And then the YUV Palette, which I was told looks very accurate to what the Palness looked like on CRTs. So it seems like the, uh, the stock color palette choices are definitely going to be a step up, and uh, hopefully people could still take the time to adding their own custom ones in after the fact. Uh, no word on if he's going to have room for more than three at a time. I think the way it works, uh, he has it set so that you, uh, with a toggle switch that only allows three, but who knows, maybe with the uh, boardy boards, the in-game reset stuff, uh, maybe you'd be able to, to add more. But more news when it comes in. I'm excited to try it out and uh, glad to see the Nest still get some updates like this. The team behind the RGB Pi has just released a new hardware revision, which is more of a minor spec bump with things like compatibility fixes and slight tweaks to make the audio better. So it's my opinion that if you own one and it's already working fine, there's certainly no reason to run out and grab this one. Uh, but if you were waiting on getting one, or if yours had any compatibility issues, such as with certain Samsung TVs, uh, definitely pick this thing up. And just the, a short, short version for people who might not be familiar, um, the RGB Pi is one of many devices available now that you could plug into a Raspberry Pi to get RGB output. My personal preference is either the RGB Pi or the RetroTINK Ultimate, depending on the use case. Um, they both have completely different features, and, uh, but both are extremely reliable and, in my opinion, high-quality devices. Uh, but there are many different solutions out there that could fit your setup better, depending on what you already have. So if you're curious on any more of this stuff, definitely check out the video I did. It's uh, not quite as polished as my newer ones have been, but it's good enough to get the point across. So... Uh, you know, in, in all honesty, I really love Raspberry Pi gaming when it's as simplified as stuff like the RGB Pi, because you just plug this thing in, you plug in their software image, you dump some ROMs in, and you're done. Um, you know, there's no finicking, uh, finicky controller mapping and all that stuff, and while I would always rather play the original consoles, there's no way to do that for all the arcade machines. So uh, in pretty much every single one of my emulation solutions is only for arcade. And this, as well as the RetroTINK, works absolutely awesome. So definitely give, it a, uh, give that video a look if you're interested in this stuff. Wes from Second Opinion Games has just contributed his first post and guide to the website. He wanted to find an affordable but decent quality N64 analog stick, so he, uh, he was able to write a full and detailed guide showing exactly which one to buy and how to install it, and uh, really made it the exact kind of user-friendly guide I, I love to see. Um, I even like the, the animated GIFs that he put for the sticks. So anybody looking for a controller replacement stick, definitely check this guide out and see if maybe this is the one that would work well for you. I know there's some more expensive competition-grade stuff out there, but most people that I know just want their stick to work right. They don't want any dead spots or anything like that. So it's definitely worth checking out. And while Wes has been kind of an unofficial team member for a long time now, he's been on a, a whole bunch of videos with me and done a bunch of projects together, uh, this is his first official contribution. So welcome, Wes, and thank you very much. Hope to see more from you. 
And I'm proud to say we have another new person contributing guides to the site. Rourke, the same person that does those amazing Game Boy mods, has written a guide on his method of backlighting the Game Boy DMG. Um, I think his mods have gotten some, uh, some real notoriety lately because of the quality, so being able to follow the same method that he does um, is certainly an excellent thing and something I'm very proud to have on the site. It's very detailed, it shows everything that you would need, and if you were looking to mod your own DMG, I would check out his guide and see if this is for you. Because, you know, once again, just my opinion here, but I love... The, the look and feel of the original Game Boy. Maybe it's because I had one and it's all subconscious and nostalgic, but I just think it's such a neat console, and I think once you've backlit and biverted it, it completely gives it a totally different feel. You're not squinting at this thing trying to see it. It's very clearly visible, and of course, while the original DMG screen isn't exactly the highest quality screen, uh, it's not bad, and having it backlit is, is pretty cool, so... You know, I certainly wouldn't want to watch a movie on it, but playing games that were designed to be played on that screen is very cool. Um, so check out the guide if you're interested, and I'm looking forward to more contributions from whoever wants to help out and join the site. Um, any things like this, any kind of guides like Wes or Rourke did, will eventually be moved over to the open public wiki. And any more editorial opinion-based stuff will stay here as news posts, uh, which is the eventual goal of the site, is just being news and reviews. So it's exciting that we're moving forward that way, and I'm uh, you know, looking forward to welcome more people on. The game Axiom Verge is now available to download for free until the 21st of this month from Epic Games. And for anybody unfamiliar, uh, and I'll keep this quick, I won't turn this into a game review, but Axiom Verge is, in my opinion, one of the best Metroidvania games out there. Um, it just, it's a challenging but fair game. Uh, it, I love the graphics, the story, the gameplay, the music is great, it sucks you in, and it's a fair game, which is something that's been bugging me a lot lately with a lot of the newer games I've been playing. Um, it's definitely challenging, and I remember the first time I played it, I kept dying every two seconds, and then I got used to the gameplay, and then I got stuck, I think, twice when I originally played, and eventually, both times, it was kind of like a, oh, it was in front of me the whole time moment. So it's not unfair, it's just challenging, and I found it really rewarding. Um, and to be honest, in my opinion, it's a game that I think any Metroidvania fan should play at some point in their life. So you might as well now, while it's available for free, or if you wanted to purchase it on consoles, it's still available in standard and special editions on the Switch, on the PS4, and I think on the Wii U as well. Retro Fighters has just announced a Kickstarter campaign for a Sega Dreamcast controller. Uh, the campaign already looks to be funded pretty much right away. They were asking for 13000 and they're already up to thirty six. Um, and I believe this is a company that's usually delivered on time, so it's a safer bet than a lot of other Kickstarter campaigns. And I guess this one's going to be a little bit more expensive at $50 because a lot of components had to be built in-house uh, to deal with some of the proprietary Sega Dreamcast stuff that was in the original. So, uh, you know, it's not too bad. It's not as cheap as some of their other ones that were still 35 on uh, Amazon. But all I really care about is how does it work? Uh, is there any lag? Did they build the circuits properly so it communicates the same way the original one did? How does the D-pad and you know, the overall uh, feel of it work? And I guess since it's been funded, we'll all find out you know, relatively soon. Here's something kind of unique and different. A techno artist named DJ Remute has just announced that his next album, being released at the end of March, 
will be released on a Sega Genesis cartridge and take full use of the Sega's sound chip. Um, I think this is absolutely awesome. Um, I'm totally going to pick one up, and I would love to hear the difference between how it sounds with the original YM 2612 chip on a Genesis 1 versus how it would sound on a Genesis 2. I'll, of course, have triple bypasses in all of them so I can get the best quality of it. But uh, I really love projects like this, and there's even somebody who's creating a software uh, a software way to integrate music to sound as if it was going through a Genesis. Uh, I saved that article. I haven't written a post yet because I want to do a little bit more in-depth than just a quick post. So hopefully that'll be around for next week. But stuff like this is very cool, and I, I really love to see original hardware still being used for things like this. So uh, very cool, and uh, who knows, maybe I'll try to contact him and see if I could use some of his music in upcoming videos. Well, that's about it for this week. I had a few more articles I wanted to write and a few other things I wanted to talk about, but I've been so overwhelmed with this video I'm trying to finish up that I really hadn't had time for any of it. And in fact, if all of the amazing contributors to the site hadn't stepped up this week, there probably would only be like three articles. So thank you very much to everybody who contributes. I really love it. I love seeing all these great stories come up. And I even love seeing things that I wouldn't have found or I wouldn't have thought of. Um, as far as the upcoming video, you should have at least a trailer for that out tomorrow. And then I'm hoping to have it out by the end of the week at the latest, but who knows? I've hit so many roadblocks in this thing. Every time I turn around, something huge has gone wrong. Uh, so definitely a couple of huge shout-outs here. Mobius Trip Tech, thank you very much for lending me equipment and helping out. Um, John from Tasty Chicken, thank you for letting me borrow equipment too. I know I said I'd have it back in a week, and it's been two months. And a massive thank you to John Linneman from Digital Foundry. Uh, I hit a wall with how to render these things, and it would not work at all. And I had no idea where to turn to because none of the info on the forums made sense, uh, at least to the way that I was doing things, and he was patient and helped me through it. So... I owe you one big time, John. I hope I can make that up to you. So thank everybody for all the help. I really love where Retro RGB is going. Uh, and hopefully all of this work that I put into the video is worth it. And you guys will enjoy it. So uh, see you next week. And hopefully with a new bigger video to release as well.